going to be looking today at this question, where is the starting place for our encountering God? And here on the right, you see Jacob, our ancestor. He's asleep in the wilderness, and he's dreaming of this stairway. The word in Hebrew is sulam, which is often translated as ladder, but it could be just a stairway with angels ascending and descending on it. What can we learn from this story about the starting place for us encountering God? I will ask Steve Lowley to read this passage again, which he did so well before, because it bears double scrutiny. Steve, would you read what's on the screen, please? Yaakov went out from Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed the night there because the sun had set. He took a stone from the place, put it under his head, and lay down there to sleep. He dreamt that there before him was a ladder resting on the ground with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of Adonai were going up and down it. Thank you. Let's continue. Then suddenly Adonai was standing there next to him, and he said, I am Adonai, the God of Avraham, your grandfather, and the God of Yitzhak. The land on which you are lying I will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the grains of dust on the earth. You will expand to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. By you and your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Look, I am with you. I will guard you wherever you go, and I will bring you back into this land because I won't leave you until I have done what I have promised to do to you. Let's do a little bit more. Yaakov awoke from his sleep and said, Truly, Adonai is in this place, and I didn't know it. Then he became afraid and said, This place is fearsome. This has to be the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Okay. So a question arises when you read this story. What is the significance of the fact that the angels are going up and down on the ladder rather than down and up? Think about it. You would think angels, their starting place is in heaven. So wouldn't they come down and then go up? Why does the text say they were going up and then down? It's an interesting question. Jewish tradition suggests that the angels were kind of camped out there because this is a holy place. The uh, commentator suggested this was Mount Moriah, where Abraham had almost sacrificed Isaac, and where the temple would eventually be. Another comment made by our ancestors is that the dream was perhaps a reminder of Sinai, because the word sulam, for stairway, has the numerical value of 130, which is the same numerical value as the word Sinai. Sinai. So there are all kinds of conjecture, his mind. I suggest that the vision was a metaphor of what was happening to Jacob, a metaphor from which all of us would do well to which all of us would do well to seek, to value and to protect. Something that happened to Jacob is something that we need to learn from. And that ladder with the angels going up and then down, is symbolic of this. Let's go a little further. For Jacob, 
As for us, the meeting place with God is the same. If we don't encounter God in this place, we will never meet him. We will miss him. What is that place which, according to the story in Torah, is the place where we meet with God? Here it is. We can only encounter God where we are now. You, all of you, Perhaps most of you have met people who want to defer their coming to know God or coming to follow God or whatever. But that is a terrible, terrible illusion. Because you can only encounter God in the now. You can encounter God in the later, but now. It's always here, now. What are you going to do? What am I going to do with the opportunity to engage with God. In this story, God engages with Jacob at a most unlikely place. Jacob was not expecting this. For us, as for Jacob, God must come to us. And by the way, that's why the, the ladder starts from earth to heaven. Uh, I, I think that our encounter with God begins for us when we we uh, respond to God. It begins in our now. But first, God must come to us, truly. He, he awakens us. He won't wake up Jacob until after this encounter, but still God comes to us. We must, and then we must, like Jacob, in some way, encounter the promises of God. God speaks the prom his promises to Jacob, promises that he had spoken to Abraham, promises that he had spoken to Isaac, and promises with which Jacob's father, Yitzchak, had blessed him. But really, existential, these promises had not become Jacob's promises until this moment. They were really the promises that God gave to his grandfather, that God gave to his father, that his father passed on to him, but he did not really take possession of those promises until this encounter. We must in some way, if we will encounter God, realize that his promises in some way apply to us, just as Jacob needed to. We need to personalize the promises of God. It's not enough to know a bunch of data. We must somehow know that they apply to us. When we do that, it will cause us, like Jacob, to wake up, to realize that we have been spiritually asleep until that time, until we make some promise of God to be personal for us, until we lay hold of it in faith, we're asleep. And when we wake up to this, we realize that we've been spiritually asleep. How many times have you had a dream in which you didn't know you were asleep in the dream? Well, many people are asleep uh, to God. Uh, Keith Green wrote a song years ago with a brilliant title, Asleep in the Light, 
many people are asleep in the light. So when you encounter the promises of God by the grace of God, and when you personalize them and realize they apply to you, this will cause you to wake up, to realize you have been spiritually asleep, and to choose to stay awake to the possibilities of encounter. This was a turning point in Jacob's life. This is when, for the first time in his story, when God really becomes personal to him. Until then, he was doing a bunch of transactions with his mother about the birthright, with his father, with his brother about the birthright, all of it involved the things of God, but he had not really personally laid hold of anything until this point. And you might know the promises of God, but until you take them personally, you're asleep. Abraham Joshua Heschel put it this way. I'd like Melissa to read this. Please press your space bar, Melissa, and read this. Normal consciousness is a state of stupor. The sensitivity to the holy real and responsiveness to the stimuli well, of spirit. Start, start again. Start again, please. For some reason, you didn't kick in until about three, three beats late. Start again. Oh, okay. Normal consciousness is a state of stupor in which the sensibility to the holy, real, and responsiveness to the stimuli of the spirit are reduced. The mystics, knowing that man is involved in a hidden history of the cosmos, endeavor to awake from the drowsiness and apathy and to regain the state of wakefulness for their enchanted souls. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. Right. Normal consciousness is a state of stupor. Most people are asleep in the light, dead asleep. I remember one of my heroes, John Wesley, who was one of the greatest servants of God who ever lived. And Wesley um, went around England preaching outdoors five times a day for about 55 years. And uh, he was a great evangelist. And he likened evangelizing to awakening people, to waking them up. But he also was involved in putting them in small groups, what we would call chavarot or house churches. Because he said, if you don't disciple people after they wake up, they then fall asleep, dead or asleep than they were before. But this metaphor of waking up is not just from Wesley, it's not simply from Abraham Joshua Heschel. It's not from Stuart Downman. It's from the story of Jacob. Jacob had not personalized the promises of God until this point. He had not fully engaged with the fact that they applied to him and that God was not just the God of his fathers, but who's his God. And he woke up and he stayed awake. So, when we have a chain of such experiences, you must experience them as a milestone. Jacob does, as we read earlier. He then took the stone that he was to sleep on, he poured oil on it, and he dedicated that place as what he called Beit El, the house of God. He says, this is nothing but the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And uh, so we must treat such a chain of circumstances as a milestone. 
we should mark the occasion like Jacob did. And we should enter into an interactive relationship with God. We should, um, someone once asked, what does it mean to have a personal relationship with God? And the answer they gave, I really liked. They said, is your relationship two-way or one-way? Uh, you need to have a two-way relationship with God in which you interact with God and in some way God interacts with you. And after a chain of such experiences, after you're awakened, what do you do? You enter into an interactive relationship with God. Jacob does that, although he does it by bargaining with God. He says, I'll tell you what, because Jacob is still a very transactional man, just as he was earlier in the story. God finds us in our own brokenness and our own sinfulness and our own immaturity. Jacob is still quite immature at this point. And he says to God, I'll tell you what, God, if you'll take me safely to my father's house, my ancestor's house in Haran, and if you'll take care of me and look after me, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 10%, and you can be my God. That's, that's pretty shoddy. 20 years later, James, uh, Jacob's going to return to this place. And the way he prays there 20 years later, there's not a syllable of transaction in it. He's terrified of meeting his brother, and he doesn't try to exercise any leverage with God, not a syllable. But here, he's immature, but he is meeting God as he is. So in the passage of time, we will grow in our knowledge of God and in our knowledge of ourselves. As I look back on my life, that's what's happened. Last night before last, I was lying in bed thinking about my life. And I said something to God I never said before. I said to him, thank you for taking an interest in me. It's a magnificent thing when God takes an interest in you. You don't fall asleep again spiritually after you realize that. So here's another story which um, relates to the one we just read. And uh, I'd like someone to volunteer to read it. Thank you, Steve Goldsmith. Go ahead. Sure. Yeshua saw Natanel coming toward him and remarked about him, here's a true son of Israel, nothing false in him. Natanel said to him, how do you know me? Yeshua answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Natanel said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Yeshua answered him, you believe all this just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. Then he said to him, yes, indeed. I tell you that you will see heaven opened and the angels of God going up and coming down on the son of man. So this, of course, refers to our story. What is the relevance? To those who would hasten, or would catalyze and deepen their encounter with God, Yeshua presents himself as the ultimate place 
where we encounter the invisible realm. He's the, he's the center of the target. He's the ultimate place where we encounter the invisible realm, where we encounter the promises of God as they apply to us, and where we wake up to new possibilities in our life with God. Yeshua is the ultimate ladder. And if anybody listening to this is looking for God, uh, that's the center of the bullseye. I want to finish with an intuitive story, an instructive story from, our, from the Jewish tradition. And uh, Sean Emsley, I'd like you to read it slowly, please. <coughs> an instructive story from the Jewish tradition. Apparently the bottom of the sea that was safe oh, to walk sorry. on. Can you Don't hear me? Start again. You're swallowing your words a little. Speak more clearly, please, for us. Okay. Thank you. Apparently, the bottom of the sea, though safe to walk on, was not completely dry, but a little muddy, like a beach at low tide. Reuven stepped into it and curled his lip. What is this muck? Shimon scowled. There was mud all over the place. This is just like the slime pits of Egypt, replied Reuben. What's the difference, complained Shimon. Mud here, mud there, it's all the same. And so went on for the two of them, grumbling all the way across the bottom of the sea. And because they never once looked up, they never understood why in the distant shore, everyone was singing songs of praise. For Reuben and Shimon, the miracle never happened. What's the point? What's the point of the story? The point is, is that you can get so preoccupied with the mundane and with complaining, many people, what uh, keeps them from encounter with God is the habit of complaint. I remember when I was a believer about five weeks, I was invited to a meeting in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, it was maybe maybe two months. I'm sitting there waiting for the meeting to be. Is the mother of a Jewish believer who I shall not name, although Melissa might know. And this, this girl's mother was sitting next to me. I'm a perfect stranger. I'm 19 years old. She at that time was probably late 40s. And she turns to me and she says, I wish I was rich. My husband is a bum. Uh, I'm a perfect stranger. And this woman is so overflowing with dissatisfaction that she will even turn to a total stranger and talk. Now, I want to guarantee you something about this woman. If she had a million dollars, she would be fetching about the fact she didn't have $2 million. So there are people who are so 
so habituated to complaining that they don't hear the music on the distant shore. That story, of course, that Sean read to us, the story about the crossing of the Red Sea. But for Shimon and for Ruvain, the miracle never really happened because they were preoccupied with mud. So the message of Jacob's ladder to you and to me is that we all meet with God in the same place, which is now. You don't meet with God later because when you get to later, later becomes now. You only meet with God in the now. So the question for you, the question for me, the question for our friends is what are you doing now about the possibility of encountering God and of having this ladder in your life in which angels are ascending and descending, bringing to you the knowledge of the invisible realm. Let's pray for a sec. I think, God, one of the worst things about our human nature is that we take everything for granted. We live lives of illusion. We, uh, we don't realize how precarious things are, how temporary they are. And so we just think that everything will continue just the way it's been. And uh, we don't reach out for a world beyond, beyond the one that we know. We don't learn the lesson that Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.18, that the things that are invisible are permanent. The things that we see are temporary. That's crazy to us, but it's true. The realm that is invisible to our eyes is the one that endures. And yet the vast majority of human, humankind never looks for it. So help us not to be chronic complainers and not to be presumptuous, but help us to look for what Jacob found, which is a personalized relationship with you. And let us reach out for that and deepen that relationship, not later, because later never comes. Because when later gets here, it's called now. May we meet you in the now, we ask in the Shua's name. Amen. Okay, my friends. <laughs>